I am going to preach a topical message. I was assigned a topic. What did you expect of me? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't give me 66 books of the Bible and say, come up with something. He said, you're going to preach on proclaiming the gospel of Christ. So, <clears throat> a lot of the people that I run with say there's only one kind of preaching. And that's expositional preaching. They also claim to love Charles Spurgeon, who did a lot of topical preaching. <laughs> Double-minded men are unstable in all their ways. I'm of the opinion, I have about 1,200 and some odd sermons online, most of them expositional. I've entitled myself to a few topical messages. Tonight, you're going to hear one. What is Christ's gospel? That's what we need to determine. It's easy to proclaim, but it must be the proper gospel proclaimed. We live in a day where there are literally hundreds of false gospels. These false gospels arrived within the recording of the New Testament. Our New Testament epistles are filled with refutations of people who are bringing in another gospel. The book of Galatians comes to mind when I speak like this. So I want to spend most of my time tonight defining the gospel and I want to use primarily Christ's own words to do so. I'll give you a hint. This sermon has ten points to it. So if you get bored, you can kind of count down to where we're going to be finished. As I begin to give you points nine and point ten, you can say amen with glee and joy knowing that the end is soon to come. The first thing that we need to examine is the gospel as prophesied. The gospel as prophesied. The first promise that we have of the gospel is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Adam and Eve have eaten off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've hidden from God, but God has sought them out. He's discovered them hiding from Him. He calls them out. He pronounces a curse on them because of sin. And then he deals with Satan, the serpent. And he says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan bruised the heel of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ lay in the tomb dead three days. But when he came out of the tomb after three days, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Satan is a bound foe. God has limited him. But listen to me. God has always limited Satan. He's never had free course on the earth. I'll take you back to the book of Job where God put limits on what Satan could do to Job. Those limits were awful. Took away everything but a nagging wife and turned her loose on him. <laughs> Satan is still loose on the earth. He still torments us. But there's going to come a day when his head will be thoroughly crushed, put away forever, never to torment the believer again. That promise of victory has been established in Christ and will one day be completely fulfilled in him. That's a promise. That's a prophecy that this gospel will accomplish its purpose. 
In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 it says, And he shall bring forth, she shall bring forth a son. This is the angel talking to Joseph. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Didn't say he might save them. Didn't say he could save them. Didn't say salvation was possible. It said he shall save his people from their sin. Friend, the promise of Christ's coming was not God sitting in heaven with sweaty palms, crossed fingers, and a lucky rabbit's foot hoping that somebody believed this message. Christ was sent to the earth with a purpose, to die on a cross, to be a payment for sinners. And that salvation took place on the cross as prophesied. That same passage in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us the prophecy here is not that a man would become God the prophecy is that God would become a man this distinguishes our gospel from the gospel of the Mormons This distinguishes our gospel from the gospel of the Jehovah's Witness. This distinguishes our gospel from every other religion that says you can accomplish and become God if you try hard enough. Our gospel says you can't do that. Only God can can leave his throne in glory, identify with a man being made as a human like unto us, bear our sins on the cross, die in our place. Angels couldn't do that. Mankind couldn't do that. We are polluted by sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. But we have a God who is without sin, who became a man, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, inheriting no sin nature. This is the God. This is the gospel. This is the salvation that was foretold in the beginning of our only holy inspired book. It starts in the first few verses. It runs throughout the length of Scripture. And it culminates with the completion of the plan that God began before day one occurred on the earth. That's the gospel as prophesied. Now let's start talking about Christ. The gospel He pictured. The gospel He pictured. Jesus Christ pictured for us the gospel that he preached. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Friend, the word baptized means to be put under. It means to be submersed. It means to be sunk. It means to be dipped into. Jesus Christ didn't walk out of the water if all he needed was a little dab of water on his forehead. You don't walk out in the water in wool garments and get yourself wet from head to toe if all you need is a little dab on the top of your head. 
You see, Jesus Christ went out into that water and John was baptizing sinners. And as he dunked one down, he turned to take the hand of the next sinner and it was none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And John said, whoa, I'm in the wrong spot. You need to be baptizing me. He knew that Jesus wasn't worthy of baptism. He knew that Jesus didn't need to die and be born again. But Jesus endured baptism. Subjected himself to what we needed in order to set the example for us. Let me tell you how much patience I have with someone who refuses to be baptized. If Jesus Christ can leave heaven, come to the earth and be born of a virgin, raised in a poor carpenter's home... Flee to Egypt because people are trying to kill him. Come back and, and get blisters on his hands and scuff his knuckles and get a sore back and sore legs from working all day for his pay. And then he, who never committed sin, walks out into the water and says, I want to be baptized so that they will follow my example. Your excuse is invalid. It's invalid. Now, I'm afraid of water. I had a lady said, I just don't want to get my hair wet. How can you accommodate me? I can't, ma'am. Why was it so important that Jesus went out into the water? John was baptizing in the Jordan where there was much water. This wasn't a car wash where everybody got sprinkled. Listen to me, friend. Much water was needed. On the day of Pentecost, they were baptized in a pool, not a bowl. What's the importance here? Baptism is a picture of this gospel. And Jesus Christ subjected himself to the proper picture of what happens when we believe his gospel. Well, what is it picturing, Brother Harold? It's picturing a burial. We're being lowered into the water in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. This is not a washing. This is not a new start. This is not turning over a new leaf. This is a brand new life. This is a new birth. That's what this is, friend. This is something completely and totally different than anything you saw in the Old Testament. This is a new thing. Because this brings us eternal life. It's not baptism that saves us. It's baptism that pictures a proper understanding of salvation. Did Jesus Christ physically die? Did he physically raise again? How many times was he rose again? Does he come back every Sunday? No, it's just one time, right? You know what that tells me? Salvation is a one-time thing. Baptism is a one-time thing. The sacrifice of Christ is a one-time. How many times did Christ get baptized? I heard a preacher say, said so many of our Baptist brethren are constantly getting saved and lost, saved and lost. They've been baptized so many times the tadpoles know their mother's maiden name. You need to figure out what the gospel is. You need to look at the one that Christ pictured. You need to believe that gospel. Spend the rest of your life living like it. The gospel prophesied 
the gospel he pictured. Number three, the gospel he preached. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. (laughs) I don't know what you think about repentance but I think it's necessary. Repentance means to turn away. Repentance means to turn from. Sin is our enemy. The repentance that he's preaching is to turn from your sins. You'll never turn from your sins until you first admit that you're a sinner. It's like the guy smoking cigarettes one right after another going, I don't have a problem with these things. You'll never quit them till you say, I need to quit these things. They're killing me. You'll never turn away from your sin until you first realize it's your sin that's killing you. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for sinners. This sin that he's preaching is to be turned from. There's no salvation without repentance. You say, well, Brother Harold, everybody knows that. Just hold your horses, ma'am. There's a whole group of Baptists today who do not believe that repentance is part of the gospel. They say that repentance is work. This is a fast-growing group. They're being trained at a major independent fundamental Baptist college named Hiles Anderson College, named after a famous Baptist preacher named Jack Hiles. This is all in Hammond, Indiana. And these guys are going around saying... All you have to do is, is, is believe you can decide later whether you want to repent or not. The classification for this false gospel is called easy believism. Why is it easy believism? Because all you got to do is make a mental assent and say, I believe. You ever heard someone say they believe and then later they didn't believe? You know what the difference was? There was no repentance of sin. Repentance of sin is just as much a grace as faith is. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It also is the gift of God. Paul said, pray for them. Peradventure, God grant them repentance. Where did repentance come from? God. Where does faith come from? God. Jesus Christ goes out preaching, repent. Now this crazy bunch of Baptists up in Hiles Anderson College say uh, repentance is only for the Jews. That's not what Paul said on Mars Hill. Paul in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill said the time of your ignorance God winked at. They didn't know there was a one true God. They had had an idol to an unknown God. Paul said I'm going to tell you who he is. He's Jesus Christ. And he commands just Jews to repent. That's not what your Bible says friend. He hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. Friend, the gospel that Jesus preached was a gospel of repentance. And faith must be accompanied with repentance in order to be genuine faith. There is no half gospel. There's one gospel. It's Christ's gospel. And if you will understand the gospel that Christ preached, you won't have any trouble proclaiming it. Number four, the gospel he patterned. The gospel that he patterned. 
Jesus Christ's life was not just a picture of the gospel. It was not just a preaching of the gospel. It was a pattern of the gospel. Jesus identifies himself with a number of I am's in the scriptures. Many of them in John's gospel. The gospel he patterned could be described this way in John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus presents himself as the one who satisfies our need. Think about that woman at the well there. Where's this water at so I don't have to keep coming back and filling my pitcher up? Well, I'd like to have one drink and never be thirsty again, wouldn't you? Jesus wasn't talking about physical water, friend. He was talking about spiritual water. He said, if you receive me, your spirit will be satisfied. If you have Christ, you'll never need to go add another idol onto your totem pole. You don't need to put the fish on top of the buffalo, on top of the corn, on top of the sun, on top of Jesus. If you have Christ, you have all that you need to satisfy the needs of your spiritual condition, which you're a sinner separated from God. He's patterned as the bread of life, the water that leads to never thirsting. In John chapter 8, verse 58, he said, Truly... He said unto them, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Here's another pattern. You remember asking God, well, who in the world are you? I am. I'm I'm him. Who? I can't say I'm this guy's son. Who are you? I'm Harold and Patty Smith's boy. I'm Harold of Greenwood. Former pastor of Lee Creek. Interim pastor at the First Baptist Church of Roland. God says, I'm God. Nothing describes me. I am. Everything you see came from me. I am. Before all of this was, I am. Here's what Christ said. I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I used to be. He didn't say me and the Father, we had a deal going. No. He said, I am. Am The pattern here is that Jesus Christ always was. That will rule out a lot of false gospels. Let's say Jesus was an angel who became a man, who became God. No, Jesus was God. I am. The gospel that he's patterning is not that he's achieved something. The gospel that he's patterning patterning is that he always was. He's carrying out his plan. He's completed his plan. And he's always has been. And he always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the God we're serving. You know what that means? That's not a mean old God in the Old Testament and a grace-filled God in the New Testament. It's the same I am. That's the gospel that we're describing. That's the gospel that we're talking about. It's the gospel that he patterned. He satisfies our need in that he's the bread of life. He satisfies who he is in that he is the I am. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Do you know what this tells us about our gospel? It is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He's the only way. 
I'm sorry, Oprah Winfrey, but you're wrong. Your gospel's false. I'm sorry, all you people who say coexist, that all roads lead to heaven. They don't. There is one way that leads to heaven. There is one door in which you must enter in. There is a straight and narrow way, and few there be that find it. There is this one God and this one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? You don't need to go talk to a pope through some dirty old chicken wire and tell him what you've done wrong and him to tell you what you ought to do to go make make atonement for your sins. There's one God. There's one way to God. If you have Christ, you are a priest. You are a kingdom of priests. You are able to go straight to God in Christ Jesus. You don't need a priest. Man, we've ruled out a whole bunch of false gospels, haven't we? You see, I'm trying to tell you, there's only one gospel. There's only one way to God, and it's in Christ. And Christ patterned it. I get so sick and tired of people saying, well, at least they believe something. You want to believe in the tooth fairy? You want to believe in Bigfoot? You want to believe in leprechauns? Or do you want to believe in the absolutely only way to approach God? The I am, the creator and sustainer of all things. You have one way in Christ on his terms. It's the gospel that he patterned. There's another I am outside of John's gospel. Actually two, I'll give you one in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. You know what that tells us? Christ started it, and Christ will finish it. Christ started it, and he'll finish it. The earth belongs to him. He created it, he'll destroy it. Grab hold of your pew. I'm going to give you something earth-shattering and news-making. Climate change will not destroy the world. You can turn the air condition down. You can use hairspray. You can build a fire in your yard. You can have a whole bunch of cattle. You can feed them green grass. Not going to destroy the ozone. You're not going to tear up something that God created, said belongs to Him, and it'll be here until He comes back. You know what that means? This gospel of the climate, Mother Earth, all of that kind of stuff, throw that mess out the window, that ain't the gospel that's in our book. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I started this thing, I built this thing. Did your dad ever say, boy, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out? He wasn't going to kill you. He's just trying to establish that he's the boss. You know what Christ is establishing in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8? I'm the boss. So what if your neighbor burns a tire on a stump? I hope the wind's in your favor, but that's not going to speed the demise of our, our, our country in this climate. You say, oh, Brother Hell, I just don't like that. that just, I, I just believe in climate change. If that pets your cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. This is the gospel. This is what Christ preached. This is who he is. If you're believing on something less than the Alpha and Omega, you're believing on something that is not God. 
The gospel is prophesied. The gospel he pictured. The gospel he preached. The gospel he patterned. The gospel he promised. The gospel that he promised. John chapter 14 verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Have any of you ever built a home? Probably the closest we ever came to divorce was when Missy and I built our home. So many decisions to make. So many different colors. No reason. I understand why churches split over the color of the carpet. You're just picking it for the sanctuary. We got three bedrooms and a living room. You know, when you were building that house, did you ever get frustrated when the contractors didn't show up, nothing was happening? Especially toward the end when you was paying that construction loan out every month. You was paying interest on all the money you'd borrowed until you could finalize that. And you'd show up at the house and nothing got done. We'll put you in mind of something. If Christ said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's building something for you. And he said, if I build something for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. How does that promise that Christ made coincide with these people who believe you get saved and lost and saved and lost and can spend long periods of your life after you were saved, lost again? Is your place in heaven under construction? Hold up, boys, he's lost again. Get back to work, he repented. Nope, he cussed. Shut the construction down. We're not preparing a place for him till he gets right. Christ didn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for you if you're good. Christ didn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for you if you keep it up. Christ said, I go and prepare a place for you for this purpose. That you can be where I am for an eternity. What does that do to the doctrine of purgatory? You see, if you didn't do enough on the earth, the Catholic's false gospel says, don't worry, friend. You can go to purgatory and walk it, work it off over a couple thousand years. And God will torment you in purgatory. And you'll be mistreated and tortured. And then after you've atoned for your sins, our God made atonement for the sins, not us. He's prepared a place for us because he knows who we are. And the construction's not stop and start. It's done like that because salvation is purchased like that. The gospel he promised is so that we will dwell where he is. A lot of people believe in a gospel that makes heaven out to be a country club. We're going to go up there and shoot gold quail and hunt gold deer and catch platinum fish and play golf. Talk to grandpa and we won't even bother Jesus unless we have a question we didn't get answered on the earth. The gospel I'm preaching to you is a little bit different. We're going to go to be with him who purchased us from our sins. Grandma and grandpa have preceded me in death. And I'm not going to heaven to see what grandpa's been doing for the last five years. I'm going to heaven to see him who died for me. And it's going to take me all of eternity to spend worshiping and praising and thanking him who did for me what I could not do. 
And if my eyes ever come off of him and I happen to glance over and see grandma and grandpa in the choir, I'm not going to say, well, it's been nice worshiping Jesus, but i got to catch up with grandma. He went and prepared a place for me so that I could be with him. That's the gospel that he promised. If he prepares the place and he knows who you are, then it would sound like to me he secures our arrival there. We aren't earning or advancing our place in heaven. He's prepared it. It's built for us. Why? Because heaven is his doing. Who builds heaven? Does God need to save a bunch of carpenters so when we get up there we can have a barn raising like the Amish and get us a place to stay? No, it's his place. It's all about him. It revolves around him. There's no sun. There's no moon. There's no clouds. There's him. And he lights the place. It's his place. And because he loves us with such a great love, he died for us and purchased us from sin. His spirit convicts us, grants us faith, grants us repentance, fills us and keeps us into the day of redemption so that we can be with him who did what we couldn't do. All praise and glory belong to our God. That's the gospel he promised. Number six, the gospel he purchased. The gospel he purchased. Next chapter 19 verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar. He said it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I like the fact that right before it says it is finished. It said he received the vinegar. He said I thirst. And a fellow reached over and broke off a hyssop limb. Hyssop was, the, was the, the brushy limb that was used to apply the blood of a sacrificed heifer onto the altar. It was hyssop that you were to use. He took this sacrificial limb, unknowingly, this guy's a Roman soldier. He takes this long brushy stick, he sticks a sponge on it, he dips it in a little vessel of vinegar, and he holds it up to Jesus' mouth on the cross, said, here buddy, get you a drink. You say, did Jesus even know what was on that sponge? Yes. Because in the Old Testament it said, they gave me vinegar for drink. That wasn't water. That wasn't wine. That was actual, literal vinegar. And that was the last thing that Jesus had to fulfill. Because that that prophecy had to be fulfilled in his lifetime. And when he bit into that vinegar and he got a mouthful of old, sour vinegar, he said, I have fulfilled every prophecy about me that needs to be fulfilled now. The rest will be fulfilled later. And what did he say? It is possible. There, I I drank the vinegar. It's now possible. You might get it. He said, it is finished. It is finished. What does that mean? It means it's completely done. It's the gospel that he purchased. It's paid for. It's not potential. I like that. You know why? I can fail. 
Who are we kidding? I will fail. It's not that my sinning is, is possible. It's that my sinning is going to happen. And I can lose many battles over and over and over with sin. As a matter of fact, I can be embarrassed when I bow down before God and ask Him to forgive me because I've asked Him to forgive me for the same thing earlier today. Lord, forgive me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to act this way. Forgive me for what I've done. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And I get up, and just a little bit later, I get a couple buttons pushed. I'm in a bad mood. I do it again, and I'm like, I don't even want to ask forgiveness. That repentance didn't last three and a half hours. Well, Brother Harold, if you die with unforgiven sin, you're going to hell. No, I've got a Savior who on that cross fulfilled all the prophecies of God and never one time sinned. He didn't deserve death, but he tasted death for us. And God treated Christ like he should have treated Harold Smith. And God killed Christ like he should kill Harold Smith. And now we've got this glorious exchange. God can take the righteousness that Christ had and credit it to my account. And he can take all of my sins and give them to Christ. And here's what that does for me. That means all my debt's paid for. Doesn't mean that I'm sin free. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect and don't sin anymore. (coughs) It's a legal term. It doesn't mean that God's a crook. Well, me and Harold got our own thing going. (laughs) I'm just going to sweep his sins under the rug. He didn't sweep one single sin of mine under the rug. He laid every single one of them on Christ. And he bore my sins on the cross. You know what that means? I will not fear what man can do to me. What can separate me from the love of God? Who can pluck me out of Christ's hand? And the Father which is greater than he, no man can pluck me out of his hand either. Like the old mountain preacher said, I'm so saved I could swing over hell on a rotten corn stalk. Not even have to worry about falling in. Well, boy, that's pretty pious. That confidence is not based on his actions. It's based on the purchased actions of Christ on the cross. I'm going to heaven, not because I'm better than you. I'm going to heaven because Christ was better than us all. And he died in our place. And by faith, Evidenced by repentance, I can receive the work that he accomplished. (laughs) I like that. I may fall victim in a lot of sin battles, but victory is mine. Because my debt is paid. Number seven. It's a little early to say amen, wait till nine or ten. (laughs) Number seven. The gospel he proved. The gospel he proved. Well, Brother Harold, how do we know that your Jesus Christ really is God? How do we know that God was really okay with him dying on the cross? How do we know all them claims he wasn't just a carpenter that died as a criminal? We have miraculous evidence. Matthew. No, I'm sorry. 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 and 40. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. How do we know you're really the Christ? He said, Because you're wicked and you don't want to believe the scriptures that have already been written in my fulfillment. He said, And there shall no sign be given unto you, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and the three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, I'm going to prove to you that I am indeed God because just as Jonah went in the well and died for three days and came back, I'm going to die and go into the earth for three days and come back. He didn't make that claim just once. He made it again in John chapter 2, verse 19. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, it took us all these years to build this temple. And you're going to build it back in three days? Jesus answered what he was saying. I'm talking about the temple of my body. Your body is a temple of the Lord as well, friend. Jesus said, destroy my body and in three days I'll come back. Who makes that claim and fulfills it? One man. There's only been one man said, I'm going to die and three days later I'm coming back. Now, Jonah died, and three days later, he came back. But that wasn't his plan. He was headed to Tarshish. Lazarus died and was dead four days, and he come back. But even his sister said, boy, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus said, I'm going to die. I plan to die. That's not plan B. That's plan A. And plan A says, in three days, I'm coming back. Brother, how did that really happen? Matthew 29, verse, or 28, verse 6, the angel said, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. As he said. This is his proof. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Friend, the angels invited mankind to come and look where Jesus was. Jesus proved that he lived again. I think the last time I preached here, I preached on Thomas. Remember old Thomas? Unless I see them nail prints, I ain't believing. I'm going to put my hand up in his ribs and feel around, make sure it's really him. Jesus shows up. He says, Thomas, let me see your finger. Stick it right up here in my palm. Well, Thomas wasn't nearly as cocky when Jesus showed up in the flesh and said, Here, get me right up here in the rib cage. Thomas saw the proof that Jesus had promised and said, my Lord and my God. But listen, it wasn't a handful of women. It wasn't a handful of apostles. Jesus Christ was seen by all of these and at one time was seen by over 500 people at once. A crowd of over 500 And many of them people were still alive when Paul was writing his epistles years later. Eyewitnesses abounded. People don't believe the proof, not because the proof is not available, but because they don't like the evidence. That's the gospel he proved. Number eight, the gospel he perpetuated. Perpetuated. Jesus Christ 
not only preach this gospel, promised this gospel, proved this gospel, pictured this gospel, patterned this gospel. Get this. Jesus said, the gospel's going to continue on in my absence. I remember as a kid saying, Lord, if you'd just come back and show your friends all the stuff you can do, they'd believe in you. Then I stumbled across the words of Abraham to Lazarus. Or the rich man. He said, even if Lazarus were to come back, your brothers wouldn't believe. They don't need more proof, friend. They need to believe the proof that's already been given. And that proof has been shared from Christ to a group of men who shared it to a group of men who told Timothy and Titus to take this same message and share it with other men who can share it with others also. And you and I today are still believing that same message because it's been shared and shared and shared and the world hates it and Satan hates it and everybody wants to stamp it out and it's illegal in other countries and we can't do this in certain places in the world but it's still going because Jesus Christ perpetuates the gospel himself. He prayed as much in John 17 verse 11. He's praying to God. He's got the the 11 with him. And he said, now I am no more in the world. This is the night before he died. And these are in the world. And I come unto thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those thou hast given me. That they may be one even as we are one. Jesus said, I'm praying that all you give me come to me. He's already said all that he gives me will come unto me. It's funny, Jesus knows these things and he still prays for them anyways. What does that tell us about our prayers? He continues to pray in John 17, verse 20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, And that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus Christ, on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed, prayed for the old country preacher, Harold Smith. You say, oh, Brother Harold, that's a pretty bold statement. No, I'm believing the same message that he committed to the apostles. And they committed to others. And they wrote down and they planted churches and churches planted churches. And people preached and the word of God was taught. And I've now got a book and I can go back and verify that what I'm believing about Christ is in harmony with the rest of the book. And when Jesus Christ prayed, he said, I'm not praying just for the 11. I'm praying for those that believe what they preach. (laughs) I like that. That means Christ prayed for me. Friend, he's praying for us today. Praying for all who hear and believe the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is the primary means of seeing people saved. Number nine. The gospel he prospers. He didn't just hand it to the apostles and say, best of luck boys. (laughs) Work hard, try hard, maybe this thing will work out. No. No. He promised to prosper the gospel. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know what that tells me? The power is given to Christ and the promise from his all-powerful hand is to prosper and perpetuate the gospel that he's put on the earth. It's not merely left up to preachers. It's not the work of the diligent. It is the work of God that saves and this power from God to save sinners exists until the world ends. Well, what happens when the world ends, preacher? We will be with him and he won't need any preachers. <laughs> I remember hearing a cocky preacher one time. He said, boy, when I get to heaven, I hope I get my own planet to preach to. I said, I hope you do too. Because I don't want to hear no preaching when I'm in heaven. I'm there with the guy I've been preaching about. There's no, hey, listen to me. It's, hey, look, there he is. It's not, hey, look what he can do. It's, look what he's done. We don't need preachers in heaven. We're crying out loud, friend. We need preachers now. And we can have boldness to preach now. Because as long as there's sinners on the earth, as long as the Lord hadn't returned, there are souls that need to be saved and they'll only be found one way and that's by the invitation to come to Christ and repent and believe the gospel. His gospel. Everybody ready? If you ain't said amen all night, here's your chance. We've got ten points in this message. I know what time it is. You don't believe me, but I got a phone up here. I know what time it is. I don't get to preach like this often. Give me a few minutes, will you? Point number 10. Y'all deader than a bag of hammers. If the Spirit moves in this crowd, it'll be a miracle of God. The gospel he preserves. There are three ways that he prospers this gospel on the earth. Number one, the spirit. John chapter 15 verse 26. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which shall proceed from the Father, he shall testify of me. All these charismatic nuts out here, Wanting to get in the spirit. Making a big deal about the spirit. If you truly understand the spirit, the spirit illuminates Christ. The spirit testifies of me. Spirit doesn't make us run around and act stupid. The spirit gives us instruction and wisdom. Spirit doesn't make us flop around like a crappie on a dry bank. We're not a fish out of water. We're not running around like a wild Indian. If the Spirit, if we understand what the Spirit's role is, He convicts us that we're sinners. He tells us who Christ is. He grants us faith and repentance to believe in Him. And He makes us not unintelligible. He makes us clothed and in our right mind. Like the demonic man whom Christ cast out all the demons. When the world and the Satan is cast out and Christ comes in, we're not acting stupid. We're clothed and in our right mind. The Spirit preserves the gospel. He illuminates the scriptures. The scriptures preserve the gospel. Well, I wonder what they believed back then, Brother Harold. 
Well, we've got this book that tells us. Well, I just feel like on the inside, though, I don't believe that. I'm sorry, ma'am, but it says so in the book. Yeah, but Grandma always said, I'm sorry, sir. The book disagrees with Grandma. Now, who's lying? Nobody likes to have the Grandma called a liar. But we have to have a standard of absolute truth. And it ain't the newspaper. And it ain't a preacher. And it ain't a church or a denomination. It is the Spirit. And this is spiritually discerned. It is the Scriptures which are spiritually discerned. Lost people say, I don't believe that old book. I know you don't believe that old book. I didn't believe it either until the Spirit convinced me I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And the book told me who the Savior was. Well, I just believe Jesus. Where would you get that belief at, sir? Oh, that's your opinion. This is absolute authority. If what you believe about God is different than what God wrote down, if God told you something, I'm using told in air quotes, if God told you something that's different than what He wrote down for all of us to have, I think you're a liar and He's right. His word is preserved through the Spirit. Christ said so. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The gospel is preserved through the Spirit, through the Scriptures, and through the saints. Through the saints. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave some. Some who? Some of the saints. He didn't give these gifts to lost people. He gave these gifts to Christians. And he gave some Christians. Some apostles. And some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Well, I wonder what he did that for. We don't need those things. We got the Bible and a preacher on TV. <laughs> no. Christ ain't up there going, they may need these. I don't know. Let's make it available to them. No. He gave these for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If you claim to be a child of God and you don't want to gather with the rest of God's children, I think there's something wrong with you. This is how he preserves it. If it's preaching that brought you to Christ, why do you no longer need any? I love to tell the story for those that know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting. To hear it like the rest. I never get tired of hearing it. I'm going to be here tomorrow and I'm not even preaching. Why? I love preaching. Why? Preaching is about Christ and I love Him. Christians are here and I love them. This is the church I belong to and I get to worship with them. How in the world could I sit home watching TV? How in the world could I put a boat in the water and go fishing when this is happening? This is how the gospel is preserved on the earth. Paul said it this way. 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is literally a support system for the word of God. We hold it up. We expound it. We explain it. Occasionally we topically preach it like I'm doing tonight. But you know why? We need it. We can't get it all by reading. 
If the Bible was all we needed, why did he give us apostles? Why did he give us evangelists? Why did he give us pastors and teachers if all we could do is sit at home and read it and study it in our living room? Why did he give us 76 verses that command us how to respond to one another if we don't need one another? How in the world are you loving one another on Facebook? How in the world are you bearing one another's burdens on Facebook? These are all commands from Scripture. I'm going to be honest with you. You're not. You're disobedient. Get yourself where the saints are and link up with them. Join yourself to a local church. That's point number 10. Let me wrap it up. The real question tonight is do you believe this gospel? You believe the gospel that's prophesied? That will one day completely crush Satan? Do you believe the gospel pictured in baptism where we're buried with him and risen in newness of life? Do you believe the gospel he preached where you repent and turn away from your sins and believe that he is King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you believe the gospel he patterned where he is all that you need? He always was. He always will be. He's the only way to heaven. He started it and he will finish it. Do you believe the gospel he promised where he prepares a place for you and nothing can interfere with that? Do you believe the gospel that he purchased? Jesus paid it all. Did we not sing that? Surely we didn't lie about it. We sang it in a minute, right? Do you believe the gospel he proved? There's an empty grave to prove he lives. Do you believe the gospel he perpetuated? Handing it over? To men who handed it over. To men who handed it over. To men. You believe in a modern gospel. A new gospel. The gospel for the new age. The gospel for modern man. Is it the same gospel the apostles preached? You believe the gospel he prospers? Friend I'm preaching it tonight for one reason and one reason only. He's promised to honor it. I have no hope other than Christ said you preach it. I'll take care of the results. Is that the gospel you believe? You believe he preserves it? Let me tell you something, friend. Before I sit down, let my pastor up here. Your relationship with the Spirit, the Scriptures, and the saints will testify if you truly believe the Gospels of 1 through 9. If you believe what I've preached in this sermon, it will be evident. By the way you yield yourself to the Spirit of God. You experience the conviction of sin. You live a holy life because you can't live as a rotten brat doing whatever you want. Your relationship with the Word of God will testify to whether you believe the gospel. If this is a dusty book you leave in your car because you only need it on Sundays. Or if this is the Word of life will be evident by what you believe about this gospel. Your relationship and submission to a local church will testify to what you believe about this gospel. My prayer is this. If none of that lines up with you, admit it. That's called repentance. Believe that what Christ did on the cross, evidenced by an empty tomb, is all that's necessary for you to be right with God. Believe that gospel. And if you believe that gospel... Proclaim it. It's his gospel.